You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Fay. It happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Stephen Boyer currently stars in the dazzling hit musical Kimberly Akimbo, now playing at the Booth Theater. He also received a Tony nomination for the show Hand to God. Some of his other credits include Time in the Conways, I'm Not Rappaport, Assassins, Moscow, 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 We Crashed, Love Life, Borderlands, Hustlers, Chicago Fire, Trial and Error, and he plays lead guitar for the band, the U.S. Open. Welcome! Thanks! <laughs> That, that was a lot of Moscow's. You just That's said. a lot of Moscow. But did I get the Moscow's right? I think you got the, the Moscow's. Yeah, I love that yeah. show too. <laughs> you had the most prolific career so far. And I was saying that here I saw you in Hand to God play a teenager, and right. now you're Buddy the Dad in That's Kimberly right. Akimbo. Yeah, it's very funny because, you know, that was at the booth seven yes. years ago. And I, so the last time I was at the booth, I was a teenager and now I'm back at the booth playing an alcoholic dad. I'm like, that was a, that was a hard seven years. <laughs> Look what happens in what seven happens? years. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's such a testament to you and your, your acting chops <laughs> to go in seven years to make that leap. It, can you talk about when Kimberly Akimbo came into your life? Because you originated this role, right, at the Atlantic yeah. Theater, and uh, as Buddy, the dad, the alcoholic mm-hmm. dad, who I'm convinced has a lot of love and a lot of, that's what I adore about this he play. He does have a lot of love. Thank he, you. He, yeah, and he cares about his family. That's right. To, yeah, in, in ways that are very complicated and often dangerous, but he does care about his family. But when this project came upon your inbox, came by your agent, what went through your mind? Can you take me to that moment? Um, well, uh, first of all, it was, it's, I, I don't get auditions for a lot of musicals. I tend to just do, um, 
new plays. And uh, so I, I was excited that it was that it was a musical, first of all, because I, I used to do musicals all the time. And then it just kind of stopped. Uh, so I was I was excited for that. But then I saw that it was David Lindsay Bear and Janine Tesori. And I was like, I don't I I don't need to read anything else. This is this is going to be incredible and groundbreaking and amazing and it's going to be hilarious and heartbreaking. So I'm I'm in. Um I've known David for for like 20 years, over 20 years because he was a playwriting fellow at Juilliard when I was a student there. Um and and I've known, you know, I've seen Janine's shows uh, for the past 20, 25 years as well. Um, and have always been a fan of hers. And, uh, so I, I knew that this was going to be a special one just based on, on that team. Um, I was cast in February of 2020, just before the world shut down. And, um, so I kept getting emails like every six months. They were like, you still interested? We're still going to do this. Are you still around? And I was like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely still interested. And uh, so we took, we took almost a two-year break uh, between when I was cast and when we started up at the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they held on to it. They knew they had something special, so they didn't want to let this one go. It's such a beautiful, beautiful life-affirming musical, which started as a play, you know, yeah. Love too, you know, years ago. And um, can you, t for people who might not know what the show is about, if somebody were to ask you, what is Kimberly Akimbo about? What would you say? Um, so Kimberly Akimbo is about Kim, who is a 16-year-old New Jersey teen in the late 90s, and she's dealing with all the stuff that a teenager normally deals with. Uh, except she also has this dysfunctional family. Her father's an alcoholic. Her mother's a narcissist. Her aunt is a career criminal. Um, but the biggest uh, factor that she is dealing with is that she has a rare genetic disorder where she ages four to five times as fast as she should. So her, her life expectancy is only 16 years, and she is about to have her 16th birthday. Um, but the show is hilarious. It is hilarious, and the music is spectacular. Right. Yes. Every song really brings you in, and totally. and I think about the songs you sing and how they, you know, develop your character. They develop Buddy even further and further and further. And mm -hmm. I just I love the song. Also, uh, is it called Inevitable Turn, where you're all yes. sitting at the dinner table? And it you're you're in their minds, and that's again the genius of well of all of you, and then Janine and David and your orchestrator, and how the songs really inform the show in such a unique way that you don't often see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that song is great. Inevitable turn. It's uh, it it really is three family members in her monologue all at once and how everyone is waiting for the explosion that they know is, is going to come. Um, it's also the only time that I get to sing with Bonnie Milligan in the whole show, so it's, oh, it's, right. a, it's a treat. That must be a joy. Yeah. And what was the joy of bringing the show to Broadway? Because I, I loved it at the Atlantic. I love the intimacy, and I still feel 
that intimacy yeah. at the booth. I still feel that deep connection that you had, even though it's a bigger space. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the booth was the theater that we were hoping to land at for the Broadway run because it would preserve that intimacy. Um, the you know I'm I'm used to the process of developing uh, a straight play off Broadway, uh, you know, and the this is this is my first time doing a new musical, and there is a lot of stuff that I had not anticipated. Um, the way that that it's it's not just about spending eight hours a day on the acting choices. It's like we're going to spend a little time on that, and then we're going to trust that the performers are going to figure it out. And then we, you know, you have to focus on so many other factors, things like the you know the way that uh, interstitial music cues like affect the the automation of the set and the automation of the lights and the the uh how this this staging has to be a certain way because we need to make room for you know uh some hydraulics or something it's these things that i had never had to think about in any production because i've never done a broadway musical and there is a level of production that even with our you know seemingly small scrappy show there's a level of production that uh I, I hadn't had to think about. Um, and so the process was, was, was kind of different, uh, for me. Um, I, I, w I was unaccustomed to it. And, and what qualities do you love about Buddy? I mean, I know he's, uh, he's so damaged and he makes all these mistakes, but there is love. And he's, yeah. he's very human. And I know, as I said, we, we talked about before, he deeply cares yes. for his family. And I yeah. see him as, I feel like he wants to save his family in some way. And yet just, it gets bum, fumbled and bumbled along the way. But You know, it's like, even if, even if as a parent, you, you absolutely love your family and your children it doesn't mean that you're good at being a parent to them i mean like buddy means well but he is incapable of of parenting in the way that he needs to um he you know he became a parent when he was a teenager yes and so he's emotionally stunted he's frozen at, at that moment in his life and he was not ready for the responsibilities of parenthood and he's still not ready and he's still denying the those responsibilities even though he he does love kim his daughter very very much and cares about her very deeply he doesn't know how to show that or how to how to act upon it yeah. um so he he makes mistakes and also, the his inability to to deal with um, his life circumstances, you know, lead him to drink uncontrollably, and and uh, it it's been it's been really great to work on because I I love characters that have uh, they aren't just one thing, yeah. you know. Buddy is very funny in the show, oh, but he's he is, so funny. but he can also be cruel. Yes. 
in a you know, in a second he can turn. Yeah. And what's extraordinary, I I love that song, um, "See the World," where you're talking about your dreams and how you gave up your dreams. You know, you or you really you didn't explore your dreams. You wouldn't let yourself really explore right. your dreams because you became a father so early, mm-hmm. and and. And at the same time, it's so hilarious. Yeah, you know, I love seeing you being so caring for Kimberly too. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, yeah and how again, how it's you're you're laughing like hysterically laughing at all the things happening, and then you're th- and then it's it's so sad. You know, mm-hmm. the pieces and how and how that changes in the matter of seconds. You know, and and it's so convincing. What's extraordinary too is that I totally believe that you're Kimberly's dad, even though she looks, you know, decades yeah. Yeah. somewhat older than you. Right. <laughs> but that you know, there is you're you're still a dad. Yeah, I mean that's a and a, a lot of that is on Victoria Clark. I mean, she yeah. does such a convincing job playing a sixteen-year-old girl. Uh, that you you just you just forget that it's Victoria Clark up there. I mean, she is so she inhabits a teenage girl so fully that it makes my job being her dad uh, kind of easy. Um, but the 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 hard thing about it is is caring. The hard thing about it is caring so much for someone that you know is not going to be around forever. Um, yeah. and, and having that heartbreak every, every night and, you know, two shows on Wednesdays and Saturdays, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of, it's a lot of heartbreak. Uh, that's, that's the hard part about the role to me. Um, I, uh, this is the first time I've played a father and I also became a father a few years ago and congratulations. thank you. And, uh, so since then, you know, I, I really feel like I understand what it feels like. The feeling of that you are disappointing your kids or that you are somehow like, you know, you have this job that is, has the most responsibility in the world. You are, you are shaping, you know, a young person and you're trying to make them the best and the healthiest and the most fully realized that they can be and your ego gets in the way or your temper gets in the way or you just don't know what to do and the feeling of i'm not doing this as well as i should is is a real palpable feeling that yeah. i have as a parent and it's it's awful <laughs> it's a terrifying feeling and to be able to but to be able to sort of exercise that in in a piece of art um, is is very fulfilling. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I think of all of the layers of every character and what an ensemble. And I love that you you all originated your roles at the Atlantic, mm-hmm. and then you all moved right together right. Yeah. to the booth and just solidified and solidified and keep exploring. Uh, I want to talk about your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. Was there, or moments when you thought this is the life for me? Um, Well, 
I've had I've had a few different ones um, for different reasons. I mean, I I feel like I always kind of I I I was like a I was a child actor in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, I did a lot of children's theater from a very young age and was doing you know two some two shows at a time you know uh, from the age of like ten until I I left at eighteen and I uh, I felt I I felt like this is what I was supposed to do from a very young age because, you know, even before, even before I, I got on stage, I always felt like a performer, like not necessarily an actor or an artist, but a performer, like someone whose job it is to make people laugh. (laughs) Like that was just my job. That was my job in the family. (laughs) <laughs> My job was to impersonate people and tell jokes and sing songs and and crack people up. And so I took it upon myself at home and at school to be that person. And then uh, my parents kind of, you know, funneled me into community theater and was like, let's let this kid work out some of his excess energy on in a productive way. And uh, and it really, really took. Um, but some of the some of the actual like lightning strike moments that I can remember, I, I worked on a play called The Loman Family Picnic uh, uh, by David Margulies when I was um, uh, 16. I played the, the bar mitzvah boy, Stewie. And it was it was, again, this kind of combo of, of hilarity and and sadness, you know, the dramedy that that I have tended to do pretty much for my whole career since. Um, and I, I, I was 16, and the people playing my parents were the, you know, two different acting professors from Ohio State and from Otterbein College. And, and it was at the One Equity Theater in Columbus. We had One Equity Theater, Contemporary American Theater Company, which is called CatCo. And I remember I had this confrontation scene with my father where we he tries to take my bar mitzvah money and it was like the audience was holding their breath every night and we would have the it would escalate into this physical fight between you know tiny 16 year old me and this like hulking man who played my father and uh it was elect it was electric every time. And I was like, it felt so great to kind of know that I could manipulate an audience <laughs> in, a, in a way because they were laughing and laughing and laughing the whole show. And then that scene comes along and out of nowhere, they're devastated. And I was like, yes, I did that. <laughs> I, I made that happen. <laughs> and it, it felt incredible to be able to take people on a journey and pull the rug out from under them and make them feel something. Um, and so that was really when I was like, this is it. I'm not doing, I can't do anything else. This is it. I, I have to keep going. And then I feel like 
and you know once once the career got rolling there was there were other there were other lightning strike moments like other revelations not necessarily about this is you know the life that i i am meant to lead but uh just different ways to sort of navigate that that life and that career um i i had been unemployed for i mean the better part of a decade after i got out of Juilliard. I, I'd done one Broadway show. I'm not Rappaport. Yeah. I thought that everything was going to be smooth sailing. And I ended up maxing out, you know, credit cards for the next decade, paying my rent and buying groceries because it's, it just, the next job was not right around the corner. And I started doing, I got tired of doing, um, theater on the road. I got tired of doing regional stuff. I wanted to stay in New York City because I felt like no one actually knew who I who I was because I was trying to go out of town to, to take jobs when I could. And I ended up hanging out at the Ensemble Studio Theater um. where, uh, you know, it's a developmental theater. You're not going to get rich working there, but it's where playwrights and directors mm-hmm. and actors go to create new work. And it almost felt like going to the gym. You know, it's like exercising my muscles, getting to work on new characters, getting to originate characters, getting to getting to collaborate with playwrights to flesh out story points, you know, and beats and and have true collaborations with a, a director and a, and a writer where you are crafting the character with them. Um, that was a moment that working at EST really changed, changed my entire life. And, uh, not to give away the punchline or the plot, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are was, many punchlines. There's wait, many. What, you want to say, was there a play being developed there yeah. called Hand to God? Yes. Hand to God was, <laughs> we first did a, you know, a reading at EST. It was, it started from their, their young blood playwriting program. Uh, that's where Rob Askins was when, when he wrote the first draft and we did the first reading and we did reading. We did so many readings and so many workshops before finally EST was like, we have to do this. And they kind of shoehorned it into a season that was already planned because the artistic director, Billy Carden was like, the re- he saw a reading of it and he was like, I've never seen a react. He's like, the people were screaming in that reading. <laughs> He's like, they were screaming with laughter. And then at the end, they were just screaming because they were terrified. (laughs) And he's like, we have to do this play. And so that crazy, crazy play got a home and, and Broadway producers noticed it, which is unbelievable. Like that play had no business going to Broadway. People were like, what is it? Why do you have a satanic puppet on Broadway? But um, it just, it just had an effect on audiences that was undeniable. Uh, yeah, so and, I, I owe that to Ensemble Studio Theater. And P.S., not only did it go to Broadway, but you got a Tony nomination <laughs> yes, for I your inc- riveting performance as this teenager who's, uh, and then, and also playing the puppet, right? Tyrone. <laughs> Tyrone. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> the demonic. It's so, even, it's so yeah. funny because people uh, people come up to me now uh, at the stage door and they're like, I, who knew you could sing? I had no idea. And the thing is, is that 
you know, a, a lot of them mentioned that they had seen Hand to God before. And the thing is, is that the puppet in Hand to God sings through the show. Like he <laughs> sings, he sings, song, he sings, you've lost that loving feeling. He, <laughs> sings, he sings some Smokey Robinson song. He, sing, he is singing nonstop. And uh, which is like, you know, gags and stuff and jokes and stuff that we developed in the room that weren't necessarily there in the first draft. But, um, but uh, it's funny because they're in their mind, it's like, well, that was Tyrone. Tyrone, I knew Tyrone could sing. (laughs) I didn't know you could sing. (laughs) The puppet. Yeah, no. Yeah. He sang a lot. (laughs) Well, that's a real, again, a credit to you because you, 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 you don't, it seems like a, he's like Tyrone is like a living, like li- li- existing independent from you, yeah. even though you know, you are Tyrone. Yes, that <laughs> was, that so was, convincing. that was the magic trick. Of, there of was a magic show. trick. Right. The <laughs> yeah. And you were so different, you know, this kid is so Jason is so different from Tyrone mm-hmm. and, and that you inhabit the, and then, you know, he inhabits you and, it's really, it's fascinating and terrifying and, again, hilarious. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And um, what. I, I just want to go back though to you said when you were a kid and you had to you know, entertain your family. Do you remember yeah. what what that came from? Why that that was inside of you? <laughs> I had way too much energy. Oh. I was incredibly. Uh, I I was I was constantly you know pinballing between things and I I couldn't stop. I, I really couldn't stop making jokes. Like I, I loved Robin Williams from a young age. And I sort of like, I was like, that's like me <laughs> because I couldn't stop making jokes. And I look now and it's like, it's the same. My, my father did the same, does, does the same thing. And I realized that it's really just genetic, <laughs> but um, you know, and in a different world, you know, he should have, maybe been a performer instead of a psychologist. But uh, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I couldn't, I, from a very young age, I would impersonate people. I would do, I would do voices and impressions. And it was, it was usually people, you know, characters from TV, or it was people we knew, and people in the family. And, and, uh, and I realized early on that that was like, that bit worked. That that got people cracking up. So, 
just, I, I loved stuck your, with that for a while. I was sent your SNL, your Saturday Night Live audition oh, wow. tape, and it's brilliant. Oh, all the characters. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> we had to pare that down because there were there were like <laughs> twice as many impressions on that, and we had to pare it down to like ten or something. Like Michael J. Fox and yeah, yeah, the combo of him and yeah. My, Michael J. Fox was an early one. That one that, that's been with me for a long time. <laughs> but then. Uh, yeah, Gandalf and oh gosh, it goes on and on. And then the original characters, and it's just delicious. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> what kept you going d during that dry period? You know, oh, between... that is a good question. Oh, because I think God, I'll, here you you graduate from Juilliard, you get a Broadway show with you know I'm not Rappaport, these big yeah. stars, and then you, you think you think everything it, it's all going to be smooth sailing. But how did you but keep? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I started. I I was losing. I was like losing my mind. I needed to be in front of people. I mean, that yeah. that kind of sounds weird, but I needed. Oh. I really like was a performer in search of an audience, and and the thing is, as an actor, you're waiting for someone to give you that opportunity. You know, it's you unless you create work for yourself which is is really the solution for for a lot of people um you're you're at the whim of you're at the whims of you know theaters and seasons and and directors and casting and what what have you so i i i started writing stand-up material and i started going to clubs and i started doing comedy for a while um i uh you know, I got passed at Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side and got to do uh, late late night shows there on the bill and met a lot of different comedians. Um, and one of them was like, you want to come with me on tour and be my be my opening act and my feature act when I headline? And I was like, yes, please, please let me do this. So I, I got in a car with someone I hardly knew for four months and we drove across the country and we did like seven gigs a week um, at colleges and comedy clubs and, and, you know, sleeping in crappy hotels and, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Does that experience help inform you, your, your choices as an actor or what you bring to a, a role? It, you know that comic timing. It absolutely does in 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 certain ways that are very tangible, and then in some other ways that are less so. Like uh, before, I did stand up. I had a really hard time in in a play with direct address. I did not like talking directly to the audience. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't. I it was it was just it was just very hard for me. And stand up is all direct address. So I had to get over it. Uh, now I'm fine talking directly to an audience. I also learned, you know, how to write a joke and how to write material for yourself, which has come in handy for any number of things. I mean, I've, like I had to host the Drama League Awards one year, and you know, I wrote 20 minutes of jokes roasting everybody. Um, with Tyrone, wasn't it? Yeah, with Tyrone, Tyrone which yes. is why it was okay. Because the puppet can make fun of Helen Mirren, and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I did it, he'd be like, "Who, 
who are you and get off. <laughs> but Tyrone can get away with yeah, insulting. Yeah, can get away with anything. Tyrone Lee insulting. <laughs> so, um, but then other things like, you know, it's, it's always, you always try to listen to the audience. You know, you try and, you try and make sure that you, you keep, you know, one ear kind of tuned to what, what their reaction is. And especially in a comedy, because you want to know what's working. You know, sometimes this audience likes, they like the physical gags. Sometimes they're more into the cerebral jokes. Sometimes they like wordplay. And you can kind of hear that in the, begin, in the first few scenes of a comedy and, and then kind of tune your dials to give them the best performance possible. Or just to sort of get them involved. And because once an audience starts rolling, the whole show becomes better yeah. for them and for, for you on stage. It's like you're always taking temperature. You're always right? taking the temperature. Always. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love also that you went to, did you go to Juilliard right out of high school? Yeah. You auditioned and yep. were one of the very few who got, got, it, got in, yeah. um, which is phenomenal. Um, and <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Um, I, well, I was, I was, I was coming from Ohio to New York somehow seemed, uh, seemed very natural to me. And I came to New York and I was like, this is where I should be. This is, this is the, this is the place I always imagined living. And this is the kind of life I always wanted. I loved coming to New York. And, uh, so there wasn't a culture shock in the, in that way, but then you know, I was 18 years old. I missed out on a college experience. And in my mind, a college experience involved, you know, partying and skipping class and having like these, these you know, romanticized uh, college experiences like you'd seen in like an, an 80s movie or something. <laughs> like I was expecting Animal House or something. But um I, you know, it was an arts conservatory where they are expecting you to perform at a level of, uh, at a professional level. And uh, I, but I was 18. And so I, for the first couple of years, I, I really rebelled against the authority of my professors at Juilliard. I just was like, I'm here to show you that I know how to do it all. And it was, I really thought that I knew everything. Um, in a way that maybe if I had gone at, at an older age, I, I would have had some more humility. Uh, but that was back in the day when Juilliard still had the, like, we break you down to build you up, uh, kind of mentality. It was the very, it was very old school. And we still had some people that had been there from year one. Uh, and, um, so they broke me down. I mean, they, they broke me down. And then it wasn't until third and fourth year when we get to really perform in front of an audience that I felt like I kind of came back to, to, to what I knew I, I could do uh, or, or like what I, I thought my strengths were, which was really playing to an audience. But you stuck with it. I stuck with it. Yeah. To be so, yeah. And you're really part of this ensemble or doing you know, shows and repertoire. I mean, and right. the plays and the yeah. classics and sh yeah, everything. Yeah. Like, my goodness. I took the opportunity, you know, we got to pick scenes. I really took the opportunity to, to do things, uh, to play characters and bring in scenes for 
characters that I would never play. <laughs> like what? Like who? Like I, I, uh, I did. I was like Stanley Kowalski, or like I was, you know, Macbeth, you know. And I was like, I was a eighteen-year-old kid who <laughs> who was like short yeah. and skinny and looked about twelve. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, if I can figure out how to make choices, character choices that justify why I would be playing this this character, then that would, that's a success. And so that was sort of the goal that I, I laid out for myself in school. I was like, this is how I'm going to use this to, it, to its maximum effect. I'm going to try and inhabit the characters that are the farthest from me. That's so great. What a challenge. Yeah, that's, you know. that's how, I, how I laid it out for myself. Do you feel like you take every, things you learn that they stay with you even to this day, you know, pieces um, of little, little things, little things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of like look at the whole thing and be like, what, what happened? It was kind of a blur, you know, for four years. Uh, but there are phrases and moments and things that kind of stick out. Um, the first year, uh, acting teacher, John sticks was an old studio theater guy. Um, you know, he, he had like, uh, James Dean and Marilyn Monroe in his in his acting class at uh, 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 back in the day in the fifties, and um, he he was he his stuff stuck with me the most. I mean, one of the things that he would say that that kind of is always there, no matter what I'm working on now, is uh, it's like don't do what's probable, do what's possible. And, you know, because it's easy to be when you're trying to figure out the scene, like, well, they want this, so they're going to go after it like this, because that makes sense. That's logically, if you wanted to achieve your goals, this is how, this is the tactic you would use. And that may be true, but there are other possibilities that might be more interesting and unexpected that can get you the same thing. And so exploring not what's probable but what is possible is always helpful always helpful no matter what you're working on i love that that makes you stretch yeah and, and to go back for a moment to kimberly akimbo i heard that you wear some of your your father's <laughs> well they're <laughs> not literally his clothes but but yeah they are really close i mean if i sarah lux the the costume designer, I got into the room to try and stuff with her. And I was like, did you raid my dad's closet? Because this is like his uniform from like the late eighties into the nineties. I mean, I, I wear the tan windbreaker, the dad jacket that yes. you know he wore for, for decades. I'm wearing the white uh, Reeboks that he mowed the lawn in. I got the like acid wash jeans that he wore out. Uh, I'm, and, you know, I even have like the little gold Casio digital watch that beeps every hour, you know, and like has a little blue light up background. And, and these, these are like little, you know, photographs in my mind of, of my dad from when I was a kid. And, uh, and it, 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 it helps. It really helps. What is it like for you when they come see the show? When your family comes, um, well, 
it's 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 hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, my dad got sick recently. Uh, he he came. To, my parents came to see it at the Atlantic, and then uh, about a week after that, he he had an an accident and became ill, and is still dealing, you know, this with this illness. And uh, so it's um it's it's tough. It's tough. And they're they're the uh, you know they're the audience that you kind of want to impress the most especially when you're playing a parent um and you're dressed like one of your parents uh it it adds just this kind of surreal element to everything and also you know so i'm on stage playing a father dressed like my father who is who is ill and the play is all about the time that you have left with the ones you love and so there's a lot going on uh, in the background of this play for me um, every night. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Really, with that, what a gift! I mean, you know, it's you in it, it. things come along at the right time. Yes, what a beautiful time. Yeah. For yeah, for, and I'm sure the the show is healing for many people. Absolutely. As well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. What? And I love that you're in the band. What does that give you? Being in the it's band? like it's what you know. It's a band. Uh, it's a bunch of actors that started a rock band, and we all we all say uh, whenever we have you know practice or something, we're like, "This is the most fun thing that I get to do." <laughs> it really is. It's like you know, actors actors want to be rock stars. Yes. They just do. <laughs> And rock stars want to be comedians, and comedians want to be actors. It's like the circle of life. <laughs> and um, uh, but it's just it's just this, you know, it's this other part of your brain. Yeah. I mean, I I play a lot of instruments, and I love learning new instruments. You know, based on the information, you're like, how do, can I translate learning piano into playing accordion or guitar or uh, saxophone or, you know, like how can, how can one instrument sort of be a gateway to, to any number of other instruments? And I, uh, so when, when I started playing with other people, it was just, it was like, oh no, this is, this is really where it's at. It's like not playing by yourself, but music created with other people is, is so much more fulfilling. And, um, it also has elements of developing a new play. It, it's, it's funny because uh, everyone, everyone in this band is an actor and we met each other through working on, on new works. And we take the same approach to making music uh, that we do from creating, creating a, new, a new theater piece. Um, so it's very, very collaborative very fulfilling, super fun. And we have an album that's on all the streaming services and you can buy it if you want. It's called We Are the US Open. It's uh it's a it's a great rock album that will make you dance. It's a lot of fun. Do you write songs together? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we As write songs together. It's so great. Oh, Stephen. 
Well, it's such a joy to have you on the show. Thanks Thank so you. much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having and me. You're welcome. And congratulations. Thank you. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. This episode was produced by Anna Strand. When lightning strikes. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.